You're listening to Dave and Dia, a podcast about basketball, life, and the Portland Trailblazers. Please keep all hands and arms inside the window and welcome your hosts, Dave Decker and Dia Miller. Hi, guys. You are listening to Dave and Dia, a Blazers Edge podcast. We are here with episode three. I can't believe we're on three already. It seems like we just started. I'm Dia, and I'm here with Dave Decker. Dave, yeah, how well, you doing? Technically, three is just starting, but I mean, okay. <laughs> it feels like we just started, true, you know, true. no more than like two episodes ago. <laughs> All right. Okay. I, I hear you. Touche. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing well, Dia. How are you? I'm good. I clearly my, you know, it's, it's seven 30, the late hour of seven 30 at night. And my brain is obviously already ready for bed, but you know, <laughs> now are you an early bird or a night owl or how does that work for you? I tend to be a night owl. I feel like my brain doesn't actually kick on until about 11 o'clock in the afternoon, or I guess that's morning still, 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> See, here we are. But, you know, after I had kids, they make you get up early. And so now I'm just all around sleep deprived, and it's just kind of hit or miss whether my brain's going to work at any time of day. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of the same way. My brain doesn't really start until noon, no matter when I'm up. See, what happens is, you get done writing for the site or whatever, doing whatever you're doing for the evening. It's one or two in the morning. And then your brain cannot just shut off, you know? Yes, seriously. You, you got to wind down. You got to go uh, do something. But of course, <laughs> there's nothing to do that's any good at like one o'clock in the morning. So you sit there right, wasting right. time for two hours. And then it's like, oh, I better get to sleep because I got to get up in a few hours. And so that's the way the day goes. And then you start off the morning being tired, and it's just a, a terrible cycle. <laughs> yep, exactly. Welcome to the life of online media. Yeah, so here we are at 7.30 at night, not knowing what time of day it is or what's going to come out of our mouths. Yes, which makes for a more interesting podcast. We have no idea what's going to come out of our mouths, neither do the listeners. Uh, we'll try to bleep out anything too objectionable, like any complaints about Damian Lillard or swear words or things we just don't say. But, uh, you know, we'll figure it out. I'm, I'm sure that listeners will, too. So today we've got some kind of interesting things that are going on. I feel like at this time of the season, usually for us, it's kind of quiet, but things are happening. There's a lot of, of media going on out there. You know, a lot of things are, are being said and, and brought up and I'm getting excited. Well, see, look, time, this is a relative thing, yes, because this is weird. This is really weird for me. There was no summer. It's not summer. It's right. winter. And we're <laughs> right. in the off season. And the off season is like two seconds long. And yeah. teams don't know their schedules yet. They're not doing a media day. They're doing a media whenever I get to it, maybe. We don't know who's <laughs> going to speak. We don't know what they're going to say. They don't know what they're going to do. It's like we have entered bizarro world. Like somebody ate the purple striped pill and now we're in an alternate reality where nobody knows what's going on including the players and the coaches and everybody it's just I, i'm i'm weirded out by all this yeah it's a little chaotic but i'm here for it i'm enjoying it you never know what's gonna happen it seems like every day there's something new and it's interesting because you're right the off season has been two minutes long and yet i feel like 
finally, basketball is back. And I think it's just that, you know, that whole big hiatus that we had there where everything was shut down. We were all just sitting here dying for it to come back. And then it did. And then it was short. And then now it's back to not have it. And I, I think it's just messed with my head. And all of my time frames are just gone because really i mean you're right this is this the off season's been the shortest off season we've ever had maybe is some of that feeling finally real basketball is back because i mean i actually loved watching them in the bubble i liked it it felt like a tournament like every game i enjoyed that but there was a certain unreality to that whole thing uh, up to and including the championship and god bless the lakers they won it that's fine They, they are the 2020 nba champions but Everything leading up to that was off by five degrees. And I still haven't shaken that. And I don't think I will shake that until probably a month or two into the season when it becomes a grind and when you can predict what's going to happen on a Wednesday night. Otherwise, I feel very out of place with all of this. And maybe some of the longing for the season to come is a longing for some kind of normality. Yeah, I liked the bubble too. I was a fan, but I liked that, you know, after having no basketball, all of a sudden we had basketball every single day and it was great. But then you're right. It felt a little surreal. It was almost like, does this count? Is this real? Is this happening? Like, is this normal? And it just was very odd. And so maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's like, okay, we're finally kind of getting back to something. And especially in a world right now where nothing is normal and nothing is, you know, back to what it was, having that back to some degree in a normal sense is kind of nice. Yeah, you know, Milwaukee is going, you're right. Nothing that happened in the bubble was real. And Phoenix is going, yes, it was. Yes, it was. (laughs) It all depends on your perspective, I suppose. But hey, Look, 72-game season, rapid developments leading up to it. Looks like there's going to be some kind of news, major news, every single week until the season actually starts. So I suppose you couldn't ask for more if you're a basketball fan or a basketball podcaster. Yeah, it's definitely giving us a whole lot to talk about, which kind of brings me into what we're going to talk about today. You know, I, I thought it would be fun to just kind of talk about some of the headlines and some of the things that are happening Media availability is happening now, so we're getting to hear from these guys. We're hearing straight from their mouths the things that we really want to know. I think the biggest questions going into this season, at least for me, especially in the offseason, seeing the trades and things that are being made is who's going to be our starting lineup? Because we have some big names in guys like Mello who maybe aren't going to be starters this year. And and it's been this whole, you know, everybody's been throwing out there, well, what if we do this combination? Well, what if we do this combination? And so Terry Stotts had a media availability and he talked about this. Did you hear it? I did, but go ahead, summarize for us. All right. So basically a couple things that he said is that uh, Covington and Jones Jr. will likely start, which I think we all kind of figured Covington would. Jones Jr. was maybe a toss up. He also referred to Rodney Hood's injury and the possibility of a minutes restriction and possibly initially at least the reason that Jones is going to get that starting spot. Most likely for starters then we've got Dame, CJ, Jones Jr., Robert Covington, and Nurk. 
would yeah. be our starting five. Mm-hmm. And I think that you can't underline enough the hood injury and or recovery. The problem with that potential lineup could be, of course, lack of three-point shooting. We don't know what Covington's going to do. He's not a huge creator. Neither is Jones. He's more of a finisher, really. There's going to be a lot on the big three to score. Not a problem. They can do that. But you right. know, the Stotts offense is more comfortable when everybody can touch the ball. So... Probably, I'm guessing that ideally Hood would slide into that three spot, but no use playing him there at the beginning of the season if, for instance, he can only go 20 minutes. So, look, Jones Jr. is going to be great. It's going to be a much better defensive team, probably. And what you hope for is that the forwards give enough offensive production to get by. And then what you hope for is really big scoring off the bench. Right. So you get the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter, and all of a sudden you're pouring in buckets all over the place. And then the starters come back in and protect that uh, advantage. It would not surprise me to see Stotts shake it up a little every now and then. I think it's definitely going to be a fun starting lineup, different than what we're used to, for sure. But I think it'll be fun to watch. And it leaves us with a really, really solid bench in my opinion. I mean, especially looking at the bench that we've had over the past season where we we struggled with our bench. I mean, those guys would come off the bench and it was just like, okay, we, we kind of hope that they just can keep it to not too big of a loss of what the starters did. Yeah, you have Trent Jr., who Trent obviously Jr. is a big player this year. This should be his year to blossom, and I think he's going to get that opportunity. You have Hood. on A minutes restriction won't hurt coming off the bench. You have Carmelo in there somewhere. You have Ennis yep. Cantor there. So they should and be Ant, all right. And, and Ant Simons would be the backup point guard, which I know there's been talk about, but I think he's going to do well. And again, you know, in that media availability, when Dame was talking, he was confident in Ant's ability. And he said, too, why are you going to go out and get a veteran point guard when you've got me playing 35 minutes? You've got... CJ, who's probably going to shift over and play that spot some as well. And, you know, Ant's going to be a great backup. So I think that makes a lot of sense, in my opinion, looking at the roster that we have, looking at our resources. I think hearing him put it that way makes a lot of sense as well. What do you think? What do you think of Ant? Well, the way you just put it there, it's more like he's the third string because he's not going to muscle McCollum out of minutes. And I think (laughs) he's exciting in that role. Yeah. His strengths are ball handling, a nose for scoring, and fearlessness, which is great if he can come in and play carefree. Now, if he's looking around, and here's Rodney Hood, and here's Gary Trent Jr., and here's Ennis Cantor, and here's Carmelo Anthony, and all of them need the ball, that may be more maturity than Simons can muster at the moment. I expect him to be better than he was last year, mind you. But still, that's not playing to his strengths, being a distributor and setting other people up and taking a backseat. CJ has switched roles there where he's smart enough and veteran enough to know I'm going to get mine later. My job when I'm playing the one with this unit is to set everybody else up and make them look good, make them happy. I love CJ in that role. I think he needs to prove himself in that role i think you know if he has a future beyond portland which i'm not saying he does but if he were to if he wants to establish infinite value being able to run the point is 
part of that package. He's much more valuable as a one-two than he is as just a scoring guard who can basically score and doesn't play a lot of defense or what have you. So this is going to be great for CJ. This is going to be great for the bench. I think it's going to be great for the players around. And I think Simon still either has to prove that he can take over those minutes without a doubt, or he just kind of fits in as the third string guy. And everybody's super excited when he comes in the game, but the game doesn't hang on him. Yeah, I I agree. I think I really like to see CJ in that position. I think he plays it really well when Dame's on the court. I think he's incredible at that spot. So I think he'll be a lot of fun to watch in that role. And I think Ant is one of those guys that has a lot of raw talent and just needs to be developed. And so being on a team like this with guys like that, I think he's going to grow. I think he's going to develop. I think a couple years down the road, he might be a, a solid player for us. We didn't even mention Harry Giles. He's another one that could be coming off the bench as well. And I'm excited to see him. I mean, I mean I've, I've seen some highlights and things like that of his, and I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch this year. Yeah, it'll be interesting if they can play him down low on offense, which plays to his strengths. And to be Frank, the Blazers don't have that guy. I mean, Ed Davis is no longer on the team. Hassan Whiteside is no longer on the team. So there's some space down there for him to operate. I think that he can bolster Portland's rebounding, which got better, but is still, look, the Blazer teams that you really loved, either from the turn of the millennium or even the LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, Nicola Batum incarnations back in 2014-15, They were pretty good rebounding teams. That was definitely a strength. That hasn't been there since. And I think bringing a guy like Giles into the game and giving him some restricted area space to operate in can bolster Portland's offensive rebounds. Also, I think he'll be more than adequate on the defensive end. That way, I think he's still growing there, but I think he can do that. The other really scary guy as far as rebounding, especially offensive rebounding, is Cantor. I mean, he could add a whole new permutation to the team just by his ability to go after any misses. All of a sudden, you're free to shoot a lot of shots that before you'd have to think twice about. Yeah, well, and it's interesting, too, because... In Dame's media availability, A.J. McCord from COIN asked him about Inez and the fact that he's been on the team previously. And so he's coming in and he knows the team. And she said, you know, what do you think? Do you think that's going to shorten the time that it takes to get used to each other? And I think we talked about this briefly on the last episode, that that's going to be a big advantage for a team that runs a lot of what they do off of their personality meshing and their culture and how they work together. Cantor actually may be more effective simply because he will play his style and play it fairly well and fairly hard all the time. His style will mesh and you don't need to cater to him. When they first got Cantor, what we said is there is nobody who's closer as an analog to use of Nurkic than an S. Cantor is. That's just who he is. It's, it's, they're not twins, but they're close. Right. And right. That's, that's incredibly powerful. Now you don't have to change your style of play when you bring the new guy in, right. which is critical because the Blazers aren't going to change, for instance, they're not going to pull all their star guards off the floor very often. The style right. of play works for the star guards. You want that continuity. It's more important to a team like Portland than it would be, for instance, to the Lakers or even the Clippers. 
Yeah, I agree. I think what they've done here is just put together a team of guys that's going to mesh really well. And yeah, there are a couple new names that they're bringing in that haven't been with this team before. When you hear about who they are, they're going to fit well within this culture that Portland's developed. You know, it was interesting because Harry Giles actually referenced Uh, This is according to Casey Hodal, but he said that he referenced seeing the camaraderie that the Trailblazers had in the bubble as one of the reasons he was excited to sign with Portland. And I think when you get guys like that who are have that same mentality, they're going to kind of come in and fit in effortlessly and seamlessly rather than having to completely change how they play and who they are in order to fit in with what's already established. Well, and and Giles is a primary example of something we talked about last week. Players are starting to figure out that Portland is a place where you can come, where A, you'll be welcome, B, you're likely to look good. I mean, look, who was Alfaruk Aminu before he came here? I mean, he was a project player who had a lot of potential, but kind of had, you know, popped the clutch a few times on starts and was still on that hill trying to get through the light. (laughs) He came to Portland and he established himself, got a contract. Mo Harkless had a rockier time, but he too found some continuity here. Carmelo Anthony's career resurrection speaks to that. Let's be honest. If anyone was going to sign Carmelo or anyone was going to sign Giles to a three-year, $30 million deal, they would have gone elsewhere. But if you're going to sign a minimum or short-term contract and you want to be reasonably sure you're going to have a decent chance at a bigger contract coming out of that one, Portland is all of a sudden looking pretty attractive. And that's not a bad calling card for a team like this to have. It's interesting that you talk about those two together because there was also an interesting thing that was said about Harry Giles doing a project when he was in elementary school on Carmelo Anthony. First of all, you realize what an age gap there is in the NBA when you're realizing that there was a kid in elementary school doing a project on a guy that he's now in the league with. These guys are getting on the court with with guys that, that they look up to and that they idolized in a sense. And I think for a fan like me, that's going to be a really cool thing to watch because I like those storylines. I like seeing things like that where this kid is getting to play with the guy that he did a project on in school. I just think that's so cool. I just think that kind of stuff is what makes me love this so much. It echoes a lot of what Trailblazer fans experienced, I think. There were kids in the championship years it changed the town, right? All of a sudden, people are doing book reports on the Blazers or uh, going out and shooting. I mean, courts full all over the place. And those of us who grew up after that grew up thinking basketball was the primary sport. I mean, I remember uh, when I was in school, you know, you played a little bit of baseball, you played some touch football, but really the game that everybody played was basketball. And I don't think that was an accident. And people learn to idolize i mean how many how many 40 year olds are there out there right now who when you say clyde drexler or you say jerome kersey do the same thing their parents did with mickey mantle or whatever right there's just that culture of we want to idolize you we want to be a part of your family and feel like you're a part of ours and just all share this glory together 
the Blazers have been a little shy in delivering that over the past, well, decade and a half. But that seed is still there. And if you see it sprout in the team, this chemistry stuff that you're talking about and all that, and they also succeed on the court, I think you're going to see a true renaissance among many Portland people who just embrace this entire thing that you just described. Yeah, it's just so cool. It's such a cool thing to watch. You know, you you watch these guys and the relationships that they have and just how they build each other up. And again, you know, I know that this is not the only team that does this, but I also know that there are teams that do not. There are teams that butt heads and clash and just have issues. I mean, another one of the things that I thought was so cool in all of this is hearing both Inez and Dame saying, hey, you know what? Nurk should be an all-star this year. He could be an all-star. They are building each other up. They are constantly singing each other's praises. I mean, you never hear them talk badly about each other outside of like, hey, yeah, he needs to improve on this. But they're never criticizing each other. They're never critical. They're never mean. And again, as a fan, I appreciate that. I don't mind a little drama on the court. I don't want it among the guys on my team. If somebody on the other team wants to talk a little trash and my team wants to respond to that and they want to go back and forth, I can get on board with that. But what I don't like to see is the guys within the team butting heads. And, and it just makes it way less fun to play. They don't play as well when when they're not getting along. And I think that that's one of the things, again, that Portland has going for us that maybe some of these other teams don't is is that they really, truly get along really well. And that, that changes that chemistry on the court. I, I really think it does. I think you're almost exactly right from my point of view. I, I am 80% of the way there with you. The other 20% is the part that says if you really want to win it all, you have to be able to stare somebody down and you have to be able to say the uncomfortable, even uh, unpleasant or rude things to shake people out of their complacency. Now, mind you, I think this does happen. I just think that they keep it behind closed doors, which is fantastic. Love it. And I I believe also that Terry Stotts probably would have no problem with this. But you need, look, I don't think Michael Jordan was a nice guy. (laughs) As an extreme example. No, Michael Jordan was a jerk. But I don't think Magic Johnson was either, honestly. I don't think Isaiah Thomas was. I don't think Larry Bird was if you sucked, right? I think that (laughs) there is a certain amount of, okay, what we do here is we win And the niceness and camaraderie comes from that. I do know we've had stories, for instance, of C.J. McCollum going after Festus Azili, but there's kind of almost been a weird quasi-passive aggressiveness to it. I'm okay if this team yells at each other a little bit. I'm okay if someone goes Hassan Whiteside, if someone else gets on a stool, (laughs) looks them in the eye and says no, right? Now, something similar may have happened to Nurkic when he first came to like, you know, the, the apocryphal story of Damian Lillard saying, we don't do that here. Or we don't mess around here or whatever it was that Damian actually said. And Nurk was like, respect. That was the beginning of the chemistry. Right. I'm okay with moments like that. And whatever they have to do to keep the ship tight, I think is great, especially with young players, because they're about half young players right now and young players you bank on. I'm all right if someone gets in their face a little bit. I think if anything, they're going to err on the cautious side, which is great. But hey, if you, if you got to yell a little bit to win, do it. Okay, so let me clarify. I don't mean that they all need to hold hands and sing Kumbaya 
all around the locker room. Like I, I know what it's like to be on a team. Most people don't see this side of me so much anymore because I'm a grown adult not playing sports actively, but I am insanely competitive and I want to win. And I remember being on teams and having some emotionally driven, loud, slightly angry conversations with teammates and getting it right back too. But at the end of the day, we walked away from that and we were fine. And I think that's what I mean in that sense. I don't necessarily mean that I expect them to always be, yay, you'll get it next time. Like, I don't expect that. That's unreasonable. It's not realistic. It would be a little questionable if that's how they were behaving when, you know, this is their job and they're professional basketball players. And quite frankly, they've made this clear that they do do this. You know, Dame has talked very clearly about the fact that he'll get on them. He'll get on those guys when they're messing around or when something's not right or when something needs to change. But the thing that he said, and this is, and this is where I meant to go with this, is he can do that because they know he loves them. And they know that they have a relationship. And that's kind of what I mean in this is, you know, yeah, they can get on each other about whatever. They're not doing it in front of cameras. They're not doing it on the court in the middle of a game. They're doing it at the appropriate times so that they can come onto that court and play a united game as a team. And that's what I appreciate. You can say what you need to say. You can get pissed off. But at the end of the day, they leave it in the locker room or wherever they need to do it. And they come on and they play and they leave that game, win or lose, still caring about each other as people. And I appreciate that. That is something that I value and something that I enjoy watching. Again, I don't mind if they want to get into it with one of the other teams. But when I'm sitting as a fan and watching these teams play and they're yelling at each other, they're fighting each other, they're whatever at each other. It's just a personal pet peeve of mine. Maybe nobody else cares about this. I don't know. But for me, I like to see them getting along. I just do. It'll be interesting to see if having more options will affect the relationship somewhat. Now, look, nobody's going to touch Dame, Nurk, or CJ. They're etched in stone until they leave or are traded. But up to this point, the Blazers have basically had one clear option at each position and then some reserves. That's not so anymore. There's going to be competition for playing time. There's going to be considerable pressure to perform. A cold streak on the floor is going to mean a little bit more than it used to because the stakes are higher. They want to win. They're going for it right now and don't have a lot of time. And because there's someone right behind you who's as good as you are who could take your spot. Now, I think that's a good thing, personally. Agreed. And I think it could lead to better chemistry because now all the work you're putting in pays off more and you really can rely on your teammates. But it'll be interesting to see if there needs to be some jawing or jockeying on the part of the players, coaches or whatever. And if the chemistry doesn't look quite as good this year, I'd be a little surprised, but not entirely. And I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah, you know, again, you know, I'm I'm getting a small glimpse into the locker room because all I'm seeing is, you know, what they're saying and what's being put out there on social media and things like that. But from what I see, it seems to me that we are going into this season and people understand what their roles are. You know, that was a big thing with Mello. People were like, will he take a back seat? And Stotts was very clear about the fact that he is most likely going to be coming off the bench. I think they know their roles, and I think that's what they're there for. And I think, again, at the end of the day, a lot of these guys, for the most part, they are working towards one common goal, and it's not about each individual. 
It's about winning as a team. I'm not one of these give everyone a participation trophy people, I promise you. I want to win, but I like to see people win with while the, they're being nice to each other. I can't. It's a story. <laughs> yeah. The winning's about just, the story, not just about the numbers and the trophy. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to see you win just because you shoved everyone else out of the way and, and play. Like, I, I don't want to see that. I want to see you play together. I want to see you be a team. I want to see you succeed. I want, at the end of the day, when we're standing there as the NBA champions, I'm just saying, um, I want to see everybody feeling good about that. The trophy isn't enough for me. I want them to all be getting along by the end of it. Yeah, I don't think you get that trophy without shoving the other team out of the way. And the this, other team, they can shove the other team yeah. all over the floor. I don't, that's fine. I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> but it wouldn't hurt them to have a little bit of that in practice as well. You know, just, this is where, this is where you learn to be mean. This is where you learn to go hard or you don't get on the floor. Right. People don't understand this. And we're way too early for this because the 2001 NBA playoffs are as far away as they could possibly be right now. But there will come a moment in every playoff run where the other team will do anything anything to get you out of your game and you can't go in there being nice you can't go in there saying i'm just going to persevere and play my game and ignore what they're doing at some point if you want that trophy you've got to take it and you've got to take it from guys like Kawhi leonard and lebron james and that means elbows and that means stare downs and that means ripping a rebound away that they were sure they're going to get because you were smarter and you were faster and you were going to get there no matter what this is the dennis rodman aspect this is the maurice lucas aspect that the blazers have been missing a little bit i think they have the potential to get it i mean i think covington can probably bring that jones can learn to bring it there are a couple others maybe i kind of like trent's moxie personally i think i think trent could really be that kind of go-getter yeah i think they just need to unleash the hounds here they need to like okay bury your teeth do whatever don't let anybody take an inch from you go out there and fight tooth and nail i want to see the good story too but if i have to choose you can be nice in the off season just (laughs) go out there and you know rip people's veins out in in the playoffs and let's (laughs) let's win and then we'll all listen to you being nice after i'm all for that I'm all for go out there and elbow away and go out there and play a little down and dirty. I'm okay with that. Just high five your teammates when you're done. Sure. And you know what? <laughs> if if they end up trading Carmelo mid-season because there's no room for him, I'm okay with that. You I am know? not. I am not okay with that. Just for the record, I am not okay no, with that. <laughs> I, that's, I, I get it. But I mean, ideally, that's what you want to do. Some of these guys, you want to you want to preserve the depth, but you know not all of them are going to stay. You want to know by midseason how this is trending. And you want to know because they've had the battles in the practice and they've emerged. And you're going like, that guy, that guy did it. I want that guy by my side when we have to face down these Western Conference giants. Because he just took those minutes from a guy who was also good. And he left no doubt that it was going to be him. You know, I think I think we need to see a little bit of that. That said, you know, we've gone on long enough about this chemistry thing. I think we both agree there's just two sides to the coin. And somewhere in the middle is probably where the Blazers will meet. 
Yeah, I don't I don't know who came up with that mid-season trade stuff. I'm not a fan, but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> we don't even know where the games are, let alone the trading deadline. <laughs> I think that has been established, but you can't trade anybody until <laughs> until you know how many games they'll have played by then and Oh, I just I oh, man. Okay. Let's talk about ESPN's projected standings that came out today. Should I read them? Yeah, Should go I see what it. they are? Okay, so in the number one spot in the East, it's the Bucks. In the West, it's the Lakers. Number two in the East, it's the Raptors. In the West, it is the Clippers. Number three in the East, it's the Heat. In the West, it's the Rockets. Come on, number Blazer. number four Come on. in the East, it's the 76ers. In the West, it's the Jazz. Wait, number Blazers aren't as good as the Sixers. Okay, keep going. Well, that's the that's the yeah. I know, I know. Still yeah. number five in the East, it's the Celtics. In the West, it's the Nuggets. The number Oops. six <laughs> in the East, it's the Nets. In the West, it's the Mavericks. Number Wait, seven, Dallas. Who? Yeah, mean, okay. you know they they love Luca. I get it, and yeah, okay. <laughs> in the East, it's the Pacers. In the West, it's the Pelicans. Number eight, in the East, it's the Hawks, and in the West, it's the Suns. And while this part is not actually put on this tweet that I'm looking at, they had the Blazers coming in for the West in the ninth spot. Dave, Dave, I'm dying here. I don't know. You go first. What do you think of that? I think this is madness. I think this is complete madness. This is this is where you start getting me going on ramps because I just I how do you first of all yeah I just okay first of all uh, hold, I'm gonna interrupt you for a second. Hold your rant just like a volcano. <laughs> you guys cannot see Dia here. Her hands are literally on her forehead. There are veins bulging through her. <laughs> it is just like. Oh my gosh. She's like, okay, you know when you tried to teach your kids the new math and you don't understand the new math and you can't understand how they wrote a textbook this way? That's exactly what Dia looks like right my, now. My face is hot. Like I'm, this, it, it honestly makes me, now granted, I know that this is some pro, like computer thing that does it, but the, the computer should be fired. I don't know why, like how, I just, I don't, this is, I, there are very few times in life where I am at a loss for words, but I am at a loss for words. And I know I, somebody, somebody went, uh, argued with, I can't, do you see this? I can't get a sentence out. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is priceless. Okay. Somebody, so yell at the computer, Dia. It's the computer's fault. Go ahead. Somebody got into it with me on Twitter today and was like, well, there's only, you know, one and a half games between the third seed and the eighth seed and you know the lakers and the clippers are in a totally different whatever and no 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 it no no if i okay we went into the playoffs last year as the eighth seed we have improved we won the off season that was established in our last podcast we won we won the off season after going into the eighth seed how can you tell me that now we are ninth? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. And somebody at ESPN should be fired. That's uh, that's that's mean. That's a little uh, that, the computer. That Let's might be a little bit too computer. far, considering a third of their staff <laughs> just got canned. You might have okay. a little revolution. Okay, that was, okay. No. we'll we'll rein that one back. God bless well, all you media people who are out of work. True. Nobody should be. No, that computer. was not. That was. 
backing that up, but someone throw that computer out the window. Because honestly, that I cannot, like, I legitimately cannot understand. I'm looking at these teams and thinking, we can beat the Suns, we can beat the Pelicans, we can beat the Mavericks, we can beat the Nuggets, we can beat, I mean, the Rockets as three? What, I, who are these, who, the, the, I just, the, the Rockets, I, I, and, and I, Okay, maybe you should talk because I'm not making sentences. <laughs> I love this. This is great. Uh, <laughs> what happens when the Rockets trade Harden to the Nets is a question. Also, yeah, computers don't know chemistry, right, Dia? See, there you go. There's part <sighs> of the algorithm that they don't get. So look, I don't think it's guaranteed that the Blazers get a top four seed. I, Wait, I don't hold think. Hold on, hold yeah. on. Wait, doesn't someone look at this from the computer and go, "Hey, this might be a little wrong. We should correct it." Like, does it have to just? Is it? Is that allowed? No, because they do numbers and numbers are everything. Yeah. Okay. So, right. okay. Um, Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's interrupt away. I feel like <laughs> at, at this point, I think the only appropriate words are yes, ma'am. And I should leave it at that, but I will try. I am not arguing with that. <laughs> My but. face is red and hot and I'm like a little shaky. I am, I'm a little fired up about this standings. I just don't. Okay, Dave, it's your turn. (laughs) (laughs) It used to be my turn. It's been my turn three times now. (laughs) But, okay, I don't think it's guaranteed the Blazers get a top four spot. As much as we want to say it, and as much as I think they have that potential, uh, I I don't disagree that they have the potential. If you ask me if it's likely, my heart says, yeah, and my brain says, well, you know, they'll be in the hunt, okay? So... It's not a lock tight guarantee. I don't mind saying second half of the bracket is Portland's comfort zone. I think ninth might be low. Pelicans. You think? Yeah, Pelicans question mark. Suns have yet to I know Chris Paul, but and and by the way, Monty Williams. Love Monty. I think any team he coaches is going to be better. Love what they've done. At the same time, I don't think they're clearly above the Blazers. I think the Blazers get credit because in the midst of all of this chaos, they do have continuity. Their big three have not changed, even with Nurkic coming back. They always perform at a given level. Yes, they have dips and valleys during the season and peaks, but they're not a new team. Okay, They've got a lot of new players, but those players are going to fit in. So I think Portland has some natural advantages. And also, I don't think you count Damian Lillard out of anything. I don't think you can no. count Lillard into the top elite of the NBA as far as carrying his team there, like LeBron and Kawhi do. But I don't think you ever count Lillard out of the playoffs. So I would be more comfortable with minimum maybe six, and I'd be happier with five. If you went four, I wouldn't argue. But I agree that nine, the numbers probably don't tell the whole story here. I think if the Blazers do finish out of the playoffs, as we talked about last week, that's a disaster. And I think it's a referendum that cannot be ignored. But somehow, I do not think that's going to happen. I would put him at four or five. If I were doing this, I would put him at four or five. Would you have the Rockets at three? Not likely, because I don't think they're going to be the same Rockets at the end of the year that they were at the beginning. No, I agree. I, You know, Lakers and Clippers, I'll let them have that. Okay, fine. Well, the Clippers are overrated at this point, aren't they? Agreed. Agreed. I think we saw that in the bubble. And I, you know, there's obviously been changes since then. So yeah, I would say that the Clippers are a little overrated, but I'll still, I'll still give them that spot. But, but to put, put, I just, 
It's just, I can't talk about this. I just think that it's, I just think it's insane. And it was clear on, it was interesting watching it blow up on Twitter. You know, I'm really active on there. I like to watch what Blazers fans say about stuff like this. Even the Blazers themselves, Inez posted four lines of laughing faces at it. And CJ McCollum tagged Dane and said, just want to make sure you see, you've seen this. <laughs> I think, you know, if nothing else, I guess, I have to look on the bright side and say, all this did was light a fire because we have always done well when we are counted out. But I think what you said is correct. I think you cannot count Dame out ever. And I think that this computer program that someone developed does not take into account the way that these guys, you know, they, they, they see that they need to do something and they get it done or the way that they, you know, they feel that pressure and they perform, or Dame will just go on a streak and do it. I just think you can't account for that. But Well, and look, stats are not good with defense and depth, which is right. the two things that the Blazers have added. And they know nothing about chemistry, which you cited as another strength. Now that's an intangible, but I, I think it's inarguable that their defense will be better this year than last year. And their depth is light years better. So your projection is going to end up lower than reality. Now, that said, it seems like every year since LaMarcus Aldridge left, there's been something that someone has said that lights a fire under the team, and we're going to be better than that, and that's the yardstick of success. We were better than the worst projection about us, the one that made us so mad at the preseason, and those people don't know what they're talking about. Okay, fine. But we're not in second grade anymore uh, as far as our NBA careers and the, the growth arc of this team. We're all grown up. And it doesn't matter what anybody says about the Blazers. It doesn't matter where they're projected. Beating those projections is no longer the mark of success. They need to be doing better than that now. They cannot right. finish sixth and bow out in the first round or even the second round and say, ha, we did it. No, you didn't. The yardstick is clear right now. Western Conference Finals and make a credible shot at the NBA Finals. If you want respect, if you want better projections, if you want this team to continue on as it is, that's what you've got to do. And all this other stuff is just noise. Both the projections and your reaction to the projections, they don't matter anymore. The Blazers have got to win. I hope we see that. It's interesting to me how social media has, in my opinion, has played into how the Blazers perform. Dame gets fired up when they count him out. I mean, even here, we're sitting here having these conversations because of things that we've seen on social media. And it's just crazy to me how it has changed the game, literally changed the game, but also just for as fans, you know, I eat this stuff up. I am constantly watching my Twitter feed, hoping for something new. And I just eat it up. And I think other people do as well. Yeah, and they're going to give it to you. The Blazers are going to give you some. And by the way, again, we will say they are the masters at this. They are the world champions of social media, both on the players and the organizational sides of things. They are just without peer. I mean, look at how badly, for instance, the New York Knicks, which should have every advantage. Look how badly they've bungled every. Thing about their public image. And meanwhile, here's little Portland off in a corner, schooling 
everybody. I mean, everything from bringing their media in-house, right, uh, which was a clever and a smart move, especially with the people that they got, right? The way that they have aligned themselves with media organizations and with social media followers, the way that they use uh, their video, their timing, their wording, everything that they do on Twitter to provoke the exact reaction that they want. And the way, above all, I think, that guys like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, really, have crafted, like a fine wine, their social media brand to be so empathetic and yet so proficient and those two don't always go together that there's absolutely nothing you can question about them. if you wanted to find something about Damian Lillard you would have to dig so far back that it would be nonsensical at this point you can't find anything about them that doesn't make you go yeah or good job or that's cool and I think 90% of that is just them being honest and open uh, but the other 10% is them being honest and open about strategic parts of themselves and their organization that are absolutely going to play to the followers and it works so yeah look social media is a great democracy and they play that democracy very well the trailblazers social media is incredible i mean they are fun to follow they are constantly posting stuff about the players, stories, all the stuff, you know, all the stuff that I like, all the stories and things that I like. They repost the stuff that their players are doing. You're exactly right. You know, they make people love them. They're so good at it. They're so good at it. They're funny and they're heartfelt. And you're exactly right in that it's not just the the official team. It's also the individual players. You know, you watch them go back and forth and interact with each other and interact with other people and things like that. And it's addicting. It's hard to stop. It's something that I really enjoy watching. Well, it's the world you hope would exist, right? When you dream about the NBA or being around the NBA, you dream about this happy land where everybody's on the same page and all the stuff you just talked about 10 minutes ago, right? Right. The NBA is not like that most of the (laughs) time in most places. Right. Portland was born into an image or their championship DNA anyway, very much included that image. And they cultivated that and lived it out for a while. There was a time when they did a better job talking about that image rather than contributing to it. Right. But they've started to contribute to it again. And for all the reasons we just mentioned, and it's like they developed an understanding of A, what they've got as far as community image, but B, what translates to now. They have the magic going right now. Now, it'll be interesting to see if that outlives Damian Lillard. It'll be interesting to see if what translates well in 2020 still translates well in 2030 or whether they've moved on or or what happens. That said, again, follow them. I mean, that's just everyone that you've named and everyone you could think of is really worth following in this market. And as you could tell by those projections and what people are saying of them, that's not true everywhere. Yeah, well, and it's, I think, too, another thing that I find really interesting is they've almost created that same atmosphere in the fans. If you are active on Twitter, I have several friends who are involved in 
NBA Twitter but are not Blazer fans. And they will say, Blazer fans are different. You know, when the Blazers are playing, my timeline blows up with Blazers everything. I feel like I've found myself in this world of Blazer fans that is so, for someone who's living in Los Angeles, but whose heart is in Portland, it's a great place to be because I feel like I get to be part of this camaraderie and this community that is on Twitter that is so much shaped, in my opinion, around how the Trailblazers do things. Yeah, and that's what nobody understood, I think, when we, well, when I started doing this, when Brandon Roy was drafted, LaMarcus Aldridge, 2006, really, and we hit huge spike, of course, in 2007 when the Blazers got the first overall pick. But everyone was still approaching this either from a public relations standpoint, sell tickets or sell the image of the team. And I mean sell. I don't mean promote. I mean sell. Or the media standpoint that, well, media are a brand apart and a people apart and we don't talk to the common people. They come to us for information and we deliver it from afar. Right. You didn't see a lot of media people, for instance, engaging in any kind of social media or even in the comment sections on their own sites that would be beneath them. Right. That has changed radically. And we certainly rode the wave of that. Maybe in some ways I want to say I won't say too much, but we helped promote that that the success of Blazer's Edge very much is the success of what you're talking about. about. And I think the world, at least the Portland world, has caught on. And I think it's a powerful, powerful chemistry. Uh, but we all got taught that from what the Blazers originally did in 77, where if you look at those retired jerseys up there on the wall, and does Dave Twardzik belong there or Larry Steele compared to most NBA retired jerseys? Eh, you can look at the stats and make a strong argument not. But mention those names and your dads or grandparents or moms or grandmas who lived through it will immediately spout stories about how great that team was and what Steele did and who Twardzik was and how important he was and all this stuff. And that's exactly the kind of storytelling and chemistry that differentiates the Portland market from most. I always wonder if I'm biased because I'm a Portland fan and this is what I'm immersed in. And especially now with Blazer's Edge, you know, Blazer's Edge, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about this, but Blazer's Edge is it's just such a stand-up organization. I, I you do such a great job running things and keeping the integrity of it. You know, I have been so impressed with how sensitive things have been handled and just the fact that this site has chosen to do things with integrity and compassion. And I appreciate that. And I don't think that that's always typical of media. I think that media looks for a story. And sometimes those stories come at the expense of the people they're about. And I really appreciate that we don't do that. You know, I think that tends to be true of a lot of Portland's media, but I have I have definitely felt that with Blazer's Edge. I think there's been little opportunity. There was some, but there's not a lot of controversy to grab onto. I, and also, I think that Portland is a more mature market. Like, look, my example, I was in Minnesota when Kevin Garnett and Stefan Marbury were the thing, okay? And this was Minnesota's first taste of success. 
And you could tell that they were a young franchise and the entire media machine around them was neophytes when it came to NBA basketball. Okay. You could tell by the way they talked. You could tell by the way they handled things as Marbury began to shake. You could tell by how they handled his departure. You could tell by how they thought about Garnett and how that evolved over the years. And once you've gone through some of those things, I think you develop a maturity that allows you to sift out the stuff that's really critical from the stuff that doesn't matter, that's just sensational. And there's always someone who's going to pick up on the sensational. And I think there are people in the Portland market who will do that as well. But I think yeah. on balanced, on balance, most of us are balanced. And even when we see the sensational, we're pretty able to say, yeah, that's, you know, I can see why that's out there, but that's hardly critical. Yeah, I think about sometimes what would the NBA have looked like and the fans and all of this have looked like if in the times of guys like Dennis Rodman, can you imagine Dennis Rodman with social media? I mean, I feel like that would be something. That would be something. I wonder about how the culture, how, you know, you can see some changes from the time that, you know, I'm, I'm 35. So I've been watching the Trailblazers for a good 30 years. And 30 years ago, granted, I was young. And so obviously I'm not reading the newspaper, but that's where people were getting their news from, you know, the news from the sports parts of the news and from the newspaper. That's what you saw. And so the stories weren't coming, you know, now somebody goes somewhere or somebody does something and instantly everybody knows it because someone's there with their phone, taking a picture, taking a video and posting it online. And now it's blowing up. Whereas back then, you know, people knew that Dennis Rodman was a character but they didn't know the extent of Dennis Rodman because it wasn't available for the world to see. And you don't have to do Dennis Rodman. I mean, you can point at some of his teammates that w looked more culturally aligned. True. But once the cameras were off, were their own people and did their own things. And this is one of the qualms I have when you hear someone, for instance, like Kenyon Martin, who this week wrote an article about how modern players aren't tough and they should get more physical and whatever. And yeah, uh, there was a gritty, tough, hard exterior to the NBA 30 years ago that isn't quite the same anymore on or off the court. And yes, a lot of today's players would have a hard time translating back 30 years ago on or off the court because they'd get eaten up. It'd be like a greenhorn going on a crab boat and, and going through that kind of grinder. And I'm not saying they don't go through the grinder today, but I believe it when the old guys say it's a different machine. And it yeah. is. At the same time, the part of that story that's not told is that players who were revered, who were stars, who were dominant back then, would have almost as much trouble coming into the now. It's not that their court game wouldn't translate, although it might not as easily, because you know those inside shots that you lived on against slower seven-footers who, you know, moved like tortoises, those don't exist anymore. You're going to get a six-foot-ten guy who's to your spot half a second before you are and who can jump just as high. So you're not going to get those off. So the on-court thing isn't automatic, but what would absolutely hurt them is the off-court. 
instantly they would be exposed, their images would be out there, people would be complaining or reviling them. And all of a sudden, personally, I think just in their whatever community life, a lot of these guys would have a hard time coping with that. To them, it wouldn't be as fun or as free or as empowering as it used to be. And you know what? A lot of players nowadays are making sacrifices and also striving, I think, to make that chemistry important on and off the court and doing that work in a way that maybe not all of their predecessors did. Yeah, I definitely think it's changed the game. I think, I mean, the game itself has changed. That's, there's no argument there. That's part of why I hate this goat debate. I hate it. I hate that debate because I don't think you can, I don't think you can compare someone from 30 years ago to someone who's playing today. The game is so drastically different that I just don't think you can do it. And so I don't know why we have to pick one person that's the greatest of all time. I think you can have people who were great then and you can have people who were great now. And I don't think you can ever make a solid argument for who the greatest of all time is because it's just such a different game. That being said, I think outside of that, social media and, and the news media and the way that media is available has changed. I mean, I just look at our site by itself and how something happens and within 20 minutes it's up on our site. That never used to be the case. You know, people would have to wait until the news the next day or until the newspaper came out. It wasn't readily available like that. You couldn't find this information so quickly. And I think that you're right in the sense that, you know, these guys, their entire lives are on display. And not only that, but I mean, there's been guys this last year, especially in in light of 2020 and all the things going on, who have come forward and talked a lot more about mental health and how reading the things that they're reading are affecting their mental health. I've said on here, I've said in my writing, I've made a lot of comments about the fact that I think it's important to remember as people are critical of these guys, which is it's natural when you're watching a team and someone has a bad night to be critical. But you have to remember always that they are people first and that they are people with real feelings and that they are people with real feelings that take these things to heart. And so when you get on social media or you get on whatever it is you're getting on and you type these terrible things about how trash they are or whatever, I hate seeing that. There's a little part of me that always thinks like, yeah, but could you do better? (laughs) Because you couldn't. But the fact of the matter is whether you could or whether you couldn't, it's important to be a nice person. Like it's just important to remember that these people are real people with real feelings and everything that's said about them, they have access to that. And be a nice person unless you're playing the Lakers or someone projects you ninth, then get mean. Even when I go on rants. No, no, and I, I'm not again, talking about you. I'm talking about the Blazers. I'm, I'm just saying. I again apologize to the ESPN staff member that I called to be fired. I did. I, that was a rash. It was a, a com- rash. It was a computer. It was a, you know, <laughs> you're, you're Will Smith here, respecting uh, <laughs> the AI. Uh, we, yeah, we, we know, know how this ends. The, the computers take over the world, right? So you're right, actually right. a freedom fighter right now. We're slowly getting there. But I just think, you know, you can stay, you can be critical of a player's performance or even a player themselves without being a jerk. I'm just saying. We'll try. Well, speaking of critical and being jerks, people are going to call us jerks if we don't wrap it up as much as I mean, <laughs> I could go easily another hour with you at least if not two. I mean, this is the, this is how it's going. But nobody gets away with that unless you're talking about wrestling or 
adult subjects. So we try uh, to we try to keep it short and, and, and we to didn't, the point. but that's okay. I mean, there's <laughs> we have six things we didn't get to. That's why you guys have all got to come back next week. Uh, Dave and Dave will be here again and with you every week throughout the season. We hope you are having as much fun as we are, and we will see you again next Thursday. This has been Dave and Dia, a Blazer's Edge production. Find more basketball talk at blazersedge.com. Watch your step as you exit, and we hope to see you again soon. Dave and Dia, what is that? A Swedish skin cream company?